0: So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter two. Uh, We're gonna be looking at verse 13 and 15. Colossians chapter two, verse 13 and 15. Um, The question in this passage that's being addressed by Paul, if I were to presuppose a question, the question in here is a question that every single one of us should ask ourselves and here's the question, uh, it's, it's on the screen and, and I'll read this passage in just a moment. But the question is this, am I totally forgiven? Am I totally forgiven? I wanna warn you today that today is going to be scripture overload. Uh, there is a lot throughout scripture on the topic of forgiveness. And I wanna deal with some of these Uh, issues in scripture around forgiveness. And here's what I know today. Today, I cannot solve that question for you. That's a question that the Holy Spirit is going to solve for you that can be solved through scripture. Um, I believe today that um, as you do your own work, did you hear me? (laughs) as you do your own work in God's word, that God will be very clear with you. Because here's what I know, um, when times get tough for you and you're trying to figure out where you stand with Jesus, for you to say, well, devil, the pastor says this about forgiveness and my salvation, or whether you say self, uh, I believe this about forgiveness and, and, I'm, and I'm hearing condemnation and I'm, I'm feeling guilty and I'm, and I'm feeling shame and, and I got all these things going on and, and here's what I know. None of that works. But here's what does work, is when you do your own work in God's word and you know for yourself, because when you're not standing on what the pastor said, but you're actually standing on faith, it's really secure and it's a really, really stable place to be. So let's read what scripture says in Colossians chapter two. Paul is making a connection here between the status of salvation and the status of our forgiveness. And here's what he says, When you were dead in your sin, that means when you were unsaved, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Anybody alive with Christ today? That means that you were saved. And in conjunction with becoming alive in Christ, He forgave us of all our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Today, we're talking about greater forgiveness. In this letter, it's as if Paul is preemptively responding to questions about forgiveness because he knows this new baby church, they don't have it all together. And he also knows that as he's penning these words, the Holy Spirit is making sure that some things are said to this church because he's got a message, not just for the church in Colossae, but he's got a message for you and I. And so the Holy Spirit writes through Paul and Timothy as they partner together to talk about the subject of forgiveness in this letter. And as he does in many of his letters talk about forgiveness, he deals with this question and I'm gonna give you a new question. Here it is on the screen. How forgiven are you? You know, it's so funny to me That some of us can be so sure of our salvation as we addressed last week. Yet at the same time, we are so unsure about how forgiven we are. So what is Paul's response to this question? How forgiven are you? I got something really annoying. So I need to pause. It's going to take my mental energy here. My iPad is um, going dark and it's going bright. And so I need to deal with this right now. There we go. Okay, so Paul answers the question, how forgiven are you? And in your notes, here's what Paul says. Paul says, you're exonerated. That's how forgiven you are. Anybody know what the word exonerated means? You're free from the debt you owed and you're never to be owed that debt again. When people are in prison, somebody finds out they're wrongfully accused, they're exonerated and they're set free as if they never did a single thing ever in their life. I love that uh, Scripture describes this in verse 13 and B. It says this, and we can read it together. It says, and he forgave us of all, somebody say all, all, of our sin. What did he do? He forgave us of all of our sins. Scripture doesn't say he forgave you of some of your sins. It doesn't say he forgives you little by little. It says, no, he forgave you, past tense, of all of your sins. Now, let's personalize this truth as if the Holy Spirit himself was speaking to you and speaking to me. And let's say he forgave all my sin. You know, this is quite the revelation for the church. This was quite the revelation for me years ago when I began digging into this topic. I love how the apostle Peter puts it in 1 Peter 3, uh, 18a. He says it like this. He says, Christ suffered for our sins once. Let me say once, once. For all time. Well, what about my sins of the past? Already forgiven for all time. (laughs) What about my sins of the present? Already forgiven for all time. What about my sins of tomorrow and my sins of the future? Already forgiven for all time. The writer Paul is declaring to the church in Colossae as the Holy Spirit is declaring to you and I today, you are forgiven, period. It is your new status, As a son and daughter of God, forgiven. This was some really good news for this church in Colossae. Why was it good news for them? Because the religious Jews were getting all up in their church business. And they were saying, guys, you know, this Jesus character, listen, we nailed him to the cross because he was demon possessed. We nailed him to the cross because he was a blasphemer. If you guys really want to serve the God that you claim you're serving, we need to make sure the men get circumcised. We need to make sure that you get back to some of our Jewish laws and our food rituals. And, and you need to start participating the same way we participate in serving God. And how many know that the law is a heavy burden? and no man can stand under the law. Everybody is guilty under the law. And so for the church in Colossians, this was really good news as it's really good news for you and I. Let's continue to read. It says, he forgave all of our sins. Verse 14, it says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, condemned. See, in regards to spiritual consequences, which is separation from God in eternity and spending our life in a place called hell, Scripture says we have been exonerated. We're free from our debt. Now, we need to also understand this, a little side comment. This is not a promise for exoneration in regards to our debts in the natural because we still reap what we sow. That is why when you're forgiven and you're cleansed by God and you're saved, you're like, wow, this is so amazing. And you go back into your world and you still got people mad at you and you've done some things that have driven wedges in between relationships, and things are really difficult, it's not because the devil's against you, it's not because God's mad at you, and he just was like, hey, forget it, you know, this guy's not saved, what a jerk he's been, and we're gonna make sure that he knows that by all the wedges around his life. That's not how the Holy Spirit does it, but there is natural consequences every single day when we miss the mark, and that's the consequences we pay in this life for our sin. As we come back to scripture, the end of verse 14, we, ask, we gotta ask ourselves the question as we look at this, what stood against us and condemned us? Why, why were we condemned in the first place? Because the law demanded justice. The law condemned you and I. It was because of our offense to God. There was justice had to be served. And so that's why the punishment of death was to all mankind who had missed the mark. So eternal punishment was their condemnation. And Scripture steps in and says the legal charges of your indebtedness, they are now gone. You are now free from the consequences of the law. Did you know that there's actually 613 laws that the Jews followed? It was a lot of work that they had to do to maintain their salvation. There was a lot of work that they had to do to maintain their status of forgiveness with God. And scripture continues here and it says this, it says, he, Jesus, has taken it away, our condemnation, our sin, what condemned us against law. Jesus took it away and what did he do with it? He nailed it to the cross. Did you know that it was Roman practice that when uh, when somebody sinned against the laws of Rome, uh, justice had to be served in that society? The same way like we have laws in our land that say do not speed and many Christians every single week, you guys are terrible drivers and, <laughs> and you offend the law of the U.S., right alongside me and we both stand condemned against the speed limit laws of texas um so in in this in the roman world when people offended the the justice system and they were condemned to death they would take a sign and they would write on the sign um, the offenses of the criminal and they would post that sign right above the criminal. Jesus wasn't the first person that was ever crucified. It was a common practice in Rome. And they would place this sign over these criminals. And the criminals would hang on the cross for several days so that people in the community come by and notice, hey, Rome's like, we got you. Like, we're gonna make sure justice is served here. And so they can see the offenses of the criminal and they can see that justice has been served. And did you know that they had a really hard time figuring out why they were gonna kill Jesus? And they just just decided, well, he claimed to be the, the king of the Jews, so we're gonna crucify him for that. But because he was the king of the Jews, um, scripture describes that he took on the wrath of all humanity. And it's as if all of your sins and my sins were written on the sign on the cross that condemned us against the law and justice has been served as the whole world knows that Jesus hung on a cross for you and I, for every sinner that needs to be saved, for every sinner that is seeking forgiveness. And that is God's word for you. His death serves as a notice to the world that your debt and my debt, it's been paid. How many know that's that's really good news? That is some good news. We're talking about greater forgiveness today. Next, in your notes, I want to talk about some misunderstood ideas about forgiveness. See, when we approach Scripture and the topic of forgiveness, it can almost seem like Scripture contradicts itself on the topic of forgiveness. And, and that's one of the reasons why we took time when Chris and I first became pastors and we did this series called SOAP. It's about how to study the Bible and how to understand God's Word. And, and if you have never heard that series, we want to challenge you to go back to that series because it's, it's through the process of studying God's Word in a systematic way that helps bring clarity to you and I when it comes to scriptures that seem to contradict themselves. And so, I had to wrestle for many, many years with the topic of forgiveness before things began to get clear to me. I still don't understand everything about it. How many you know that, man, we are uh, finite humans trying to understand an infinite God. He is way smarter than you and I. But here's a few things that I have understood from Scripture. And so I want to expose some misunderstood ideas about forgiveness. Are you ready? On one hand, Paul says in multiple places, Ephesians, Colossians, John, Hebrew, our passage we read today, all your sins are forgiven. That's so easy to see. But on the other hand, Scripture also appears to say things like this in your notes, Ah, you're not forgiven unless you confess. What do we do about that? So am I forgiven or am I not forgiven? Am I only forgiven for the sins that I've confessed? Well, what does that mean for the sins that I have not confessed? What does that mean if I'm a really forgetful person? That means you're in really big trouble. I'm in like massive trouble because there's no way I can't remember last week, let alone the list of last week's sins. Here's the problem with this kind of theology. If it were true that God only forgave sins that we confess, this means that we would be, we would stand condemned against God's word and that this once and for all forgiveness that God, declares for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ is actually not once and for all forgiveness. So what does it actually mean? Where do we get this idea? I'm not forgiven unless I confess my sins. Let's take a look at first John and one nine. Here's what it says first John one nine. If we confess someone say confess our sins, he's faithful. Say faithful. And he's just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, you are right. God's word does say if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. Many people use passages like this that are very unique in scripture to trump several passages that say your sins are forgiven. Why does John seem to be so contradictory in this verse here? I want to shed some light on John chapter 1. When we talk about understanding scripture, how many know that that audience relevance is everything? Covenant relevance is everything. This passage is actually an evangelistic appeal. You know what evangelism is? It's sharing the good news with lost people. And theologians and commentators like Adam Clark and other describe this audience only in John chapter 1, not John chapter 2. They describe this audience as an unsaved audience. They describe them as Gnostic believers, meaning that John was writing 1 John chapter 1 to a group of unbelievers. See, Gnostics believed that sin, in fact, was not real in terms of our spiritual eternity. So that whatever happened in the body, it did not matter. You could eat, drink, and be merry in the body, sin as much as you want, because it was not an offense to God. Because everything that happened in the physical and the natural was completely separate to what happened in the supernatural. So they considered themselves as people who had never sinned before. And so here's what he says when he, and you can read it actually, John chapter one. He opens up and he says this, we have seen and heard about you. We know Gnostic believers because commentators describe this. We have seen and heard about you unbelievers. So because of that, we proclaim to you also the same way we've proclaimed to others so that you too may have fellowship with us this audience did not have fellowship with the body of Christ, with John and the rest of the believers. How do you have fellowship with the body of Christ? Salvation. So John was preaching the good news to this group of unbelieving people who were not a part of the body of Christ. And he says to them, I want to make sure that regardless of what you think and know about sin, I want you to Confess that you are a sinner, just like we have done. And confess that God is faithful to forgive us and purify us from all of our unrighteousness. Does this bring clarity to 1 John chapter 1? Does this bring clarity to 1 John 1 9? And it's so funny because he says that he's gonna purify us from all unrighteousness, not some unrighteousness, not tomorrow's unrighteousness, not the next day's unrighteousness, but all unrighteousness. It sounds to me that John is declaring once and for all forgiveness, the same way that he was to the church in Colossians, for every believer who comes into the faith and gives their heart to Jesus Christ. He was thinking about once and for all forgiveness that comes through salvation am I anti-confession? Is John anti-confession? No. He's just pro-Calvary, and so am I. He's just pro-what Jesus did on the cross. He's pro-understanding that because I have been saved, all of my sins have been forgiven, period. How many know that's some really good news? And I wanna declare to you what Paul is declaring to the church in Colossae. He is saying to you, son, daughter, if you are in the body of Christ, if you have fellowship with the believers and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are forgiven. See, there's so many Christians, and I was one of them for a really long time, still waiting for God to forgive me still waiting for God to do something that he already did. Asking God to accomplish something that he already accomplished. And if you're somebody who is still begging him to forgive you, here's the reality. As long as you think you're unforgiven, you will be placing yourself under condemnation, under shame that does not belong to you. And what you're declaring with that mentality is that what Jesus did on the cross for my sin was not enough. That his once and for all forgiveness, in fact, is not once and for all forgiveness. His news is not that good. James says this in James 5.16, because I remember when I first started seeing this in scripture, I'm like, well, what about John? What, What about what James had to say? Sean, then, are you pro-James 5.16? I am pro-James 5.16, all the way in the confession sense, but not in the forgiveness sense. This is not about forgiveness. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to who? To To God? Confess your sins to each other. To other believers, this is speaking of accountability in the body of Christ. And then, and then do what as you confess your sins? And then pray yeah. for one another so that you may be healed. Yeah. See, our minds are corrupted by sin and our minds are corrupted by wrong thinking and every time we sin, every time we do something against God's law, we, when we do not place ourselves under the cross of Calvary and we place ourselves back under the law, our corrupt thinking keeps all kinds of condemnation in on us. And by the way, that's also the, the, the consequences of your sin. You do that to yourself because you're gonna reap the consequences of your sin. So when you fail, all of a sudden, your mind starts telling you wrong things, everything that is anti-God, everything that God didn't do, your mind starts convincing of all these distortions. And the reasons why we should confess our sin one to another so that we could pray over our brothers and sisters, remind us who we are in Christ, remind us what Christ did on the cross was enough for us, and remind us that the Holy Spirit enables us and makes a way for escape for us when we're tempted. Yeah. We're looking at misunderstood ideas about forgiveness. The next misunderstood idea about forgiveness is this. You are not forgiven unless you forgive. I know this is hard stuff for some of you today. This is like, like what are you saying? I'm, I'm just reading what's in God's word. You are not forgiven unless you forgive. I remember teaching that for a really long time like God's not gonna forgive you. You come to the altar and you got an offense against your brother, go deal with it because God is not forgiving you. And I would use passages and and make them to mean what they didn't mean and, and heap condemnation on people. Am I saying don't go deal with the unforgiveness in your heart? No, I'm just saying that that doesn't unlock the forgiveness from the father to you. Well, Sean, if that's true, then, then why does scripture say that I'm forgiven freely, but all of a sudden it also says, but not really, only if you forgive other people. (laughs) Let's see what the Sermon on the Mount has to say in Matthew 6. I am going to go a little bit over, by the way, maybe five minutes. So, you know, um, if you got to go to lunch, just get up and leave. And, you know, know, I'll make fun of you after you leave, but not to your face, (laughs) only behind your back. No, I'm kidding. Here we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount, chapter six through seven of Matthew. And we learned in our soap series, and I continue to point back to that because it is pivotal that you understand how to read scripture, that there are many covenants in the Bible. Most of us are familiar with the old covenant and the new covenant. And covenant context is really important when it comes to reading scripture. Um, we have to read it in context of its covenant. So here we are in Matthew chapter five and seven, and we're in the, in the New Testament, but what covenant are we still under? The old, why? Because Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. We had to wait for the finished work of Jesus to take place before we could come under salvation by grace through faith. So this means that as Jesus is communicating to this primarily Jewish audience, but also in the old covenant era, Jesus is communicating to people who were under the law. And so when it comes to Jesus communicating to people under the law, scripture says that not a jot or tittle of the law is gonna be wiped or taken away ever, until it's fulfilled. You and I didn't fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled it. So he had to stand true to his own word when he preached during the Sermon on the Mount. He wasn't going to take a jot or tittle of the law away. So you can guarantee that he was preaching law really strong. I mean, The requirements in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, they are heavy. They are huge. It's because these people thought, we can get to God on our own. And Jesus is like, oh, really? Well, I just want you to know that this natural law that you read that says, do not commit adultery. Many are like, yeah, I have never committed adultery. Jesus heaps more weight on them and says, oh, but it's not just about adultery in the natural. It's about adultery in your heart. So, if you have ever looked upon a man or woman with lust or fantasized about what your life could be with them as your hot romance partner, baby, then you stand condemned. Some people try to figure out the Sermon on the Mount and go, Oh, well, that just means that God empowers you to never do that again under grace because, gee, listen. God can empower you under grace, but make no mistake. This was still the old covenant era, and Jesus was heaping out weight on these people. Did you know that the old covenant is full of conditions? And let's read. Let's read this real quick as we're checking this out. Uh, here we go, verse fourteen. We're taking a look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse fourteen through fifteen. For if you forgive other people, Jesus says, when they sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, somebody say, but, if you don't forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. Does this sound like the works of the law or free, or free grace? If You do this, then your father will do this. What we need to realize about this text is Jesus is preaching to a people under a conditional covenant, conditional forgiveness. Because he had not gone to the cross yet. There was no such thing as all your sins have been forgiven forever. On the day of the atonement, they had to go year after year, and the priests would slice one animal open after the next, and blood would have to continually be spilled for the forgiveness to atone for their sins because they stood condemned against the law. This is why Luke declares to us in Luke 24, 46, and 47, there is a change in Jesus' tone. Is it because Jesus changed? No, it's because covenant eras change. And Jesus comes after the cross, and or actually the, the night before he dies, and he declares something to the disciples. He says, hey guys, the Messiah is gonna suffer and he's gonna rise from the dead on the third day, the finished work of Jesus. We talked a lot about it last week. And then he says this, something different is gonna happen, and I want you to decode and declare this news as opposed to the news that, you ha- that has been declared to you. Declare this in verse 47, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins, plural. The repentance of the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This was a very new message about forgiveness. One that they had never heard before. Never. Jesus never said anything like he did after the cross in his resurrection body as he did in Matthew chapter six about forgiveness. Not one New Testament writer after the cross said anything about working for forgiveness or working for salvation. No, in fact, they declared all your sins are forgiven. Here's what we need to know about forgiveness under the new covenant as new covenant believers. Number one, we are not called to the old covenant. We are called to the new covenant. That forgiveness is a provision of salvation. Under the new covenant, forgiveness is a provision of salvation. That is why Paul and Timothy came to the church of the Colossians who were people under a new covenant there was something that happened on the cross that changed absolutely everything. Because under the old covenant, conditional forgiveness was what was preached. And under the new covenant, unconditional forgiveness is what every single New Testament writer preached is everything that Jesus declared when he resurrected from the dead there was a new message that was coming to humanity and it was something completely different than anybody else had ever heard and this should not this should not be a surprise to you but we know that we had to work really hard under the Old Covenant. We had to work hard to make sure to fulfill every single law because that was the demand of the law. The law was perfect, it was good, it was pure, and it was holy because it it represented the nature and perfection of God. And there are so many people who get really snooty under grace. And they're like, they get an attitude against the law. And I just want to say, you better check your heart. You shouldn't have an attitude against the law because you would have never known your sinfulness if you didn't ever know the law. You would never know how different you are from God if you didn't know the law. The law shows you how perfect and holy and how amazing God is and what people should relate to God like and what people should relate to each other like. It gives us a really good picture and it shows us how different we are from him. And it shows us in eternity, life is gonna be amazing when we do life perfectly together. It's gonna be beautiful. We know that under grace, we don't have to work. We just rest in the goodness of the Father. I mean, he's so amazing. And some of you are trying to, you're doing penance for your sin and you're doing, you're doing all kinds of things. And the early church, uh, post early church turned into Catholicism, started doing really interesting things. And I, there's nowhere in scripture that talks about penance for sin, going and paying back and earning your forgiveness and doing enough things and doing enough of this and doing enough that. No, the writers came and they came and they declared some really good news and they said, all of your sins have been forgiven, period. Under, under the, the old covenant, there was, there was yearly sacrifices that had to be made for the forgiveness of sins, and it's so funny that when people choose to make, to pay for their sins every day here in the new covenant, it's as if we're saying, wow, I, sh- I would have had it better under the old covenant because they only had to bring sacrifices once a year. But I have to confess every single one of my sins and bring a new sacrifice to God every time I sin the altar every Sunday for God to forgive me. I better come and do that. That's if we're saying that the blood of bulls and goats is better than the blood of Jesus. Once for all, yearly, once for all. Are you seeing the contrast? Are you seeing the difference between those under the law and those under the new covenant? It's so amazing to me Some people think apologies are required and I I, I gotta go tell God I'm sorry and I I gotta go do this and I I gotta go do that. Friend, the only thing that is ever gonna grant you forgiveness is not apologies and not payback, but it's the blood of Jesus. That's it. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you today to not ask for forgiveness. That's not the message that's being preached today. The message that's being preached today is you are forgiven. That's the message that's being preached today. And so that when you go to God, that you recognize and you confess your sins before him, and you thank the almighty God that your sins are forgiven, period, period. That is God's word. I don't know any other message to preach to you today. Some of you, some of us, we, we feel so drawn to the law because... Because we are so used to humans as working for things. And I, I believe that it's in the nature of humanity to love the law more than it is to love grace. Because we always think if I work harder, if I try harder, if I accomplish more, then I can do it. You know what that's called? The pride of humanity. That is exactly why Satan fell out of heaven. Because he thought he knew better. The law actually makes sense. Grace makes no sense. Grace is like absolutely crazy. It's bonkers. If there was another message to preach to you, I would preach it. But as I look at God's word and I consider what he has to say about once and for all forgiveness, I have nothing else to say. I wanna encourage you to grab your communion this morning.